0: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
1: And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. Bill Newman is off today. Hello, Dan Reeves. Hello? Eric Reeves, uh, Dan Torres, and I'm looking at my notes. Hello, producer Dan Torres. Hello,
2: Buzz. How are you? <laughs> I couldn't tell who you were trying to talk to. I, really, I didn't know. Obviously, I was confused. I, got, I
1: confused myself. Uh, I was confused too. <laughs> but it's a, a heck of a way to start a Monday. Uh, but I am I am um, gratified that uh, Eric Reeves, uh, whose names I just blended with Dan Torres's, um, the trustee of the Darfur. Bar Association is with us. There was a time when our attention was appropriately riveted on the Sudan and the uh, southwest uh, corner of Sudan, which has Darfur, and the the horrific genocide and human uh, tragedy that Darfur represented. We were very aware of it, and somehow it got knocked off the front pages and out of our consciousness, but fortunately, um, Eric Reeves never got knocked out of your consciousness. So first of all, tell us how you got interested in this region, and uh, then I'm gonna ask you about what we should be knowing about what's going on right now.
3: Well, I've been working on Sudan for almost a quarter of a century now, with an an initial focus on South Sudan and the problems uh, around oil development
4: humanitarian
1: we're having sound problems
3: little did I know when I was about 20 miles from Darfur that it would soon become a site of genocide Um, and the evidence poured in throughout uh, uh, 2003 that genocide was indeed occurring and I could hardly believe it, but nobody was saying the word out loud. So, in February of 2004, the Washington Post broke the silences, and by publishing my op-ed, "Unnoticed Genocide," and thereafter, uh, a number of other people echoed that assessment. Nick Kristoff, uh, most prominently in the New York Times, he would win a uh, Pulitzer Prize for that uh, reporting. But that's how I got started on Darfur. And I've never uh, since forgotten about it, but the Obama administration, sadly, for those of us who supported Obama, uh, the Obama administration is really culpable here. Uh, If I had to rank foreign policy catastrophes, people focus on Libya and Syria, I would put Darfur at the top of the list. Uh, interest just disappeared. Uh, The policies of the Obama administration were catastrophic, in part because the special envoy for Sudan was a total bozo. He was a former general who'd supported Obama during the election of 2008, had no knowledge of Sudan, no experience as a diplomat, did not speak Arabic, and really, only wanted a job in Kenya, and from his errors came a continuation of a catastrophe that did, however, become invisible.
1: Well, let's let's rewind the tape, Eric Reeves. And just for those of us who are ignorant, I'm not looking at a map, um, but my memory is that uh, south of Libya and south of Egypt, um, there's uh, which is in the northeast corner of the African continent. South of that is Ethiopia and Eritrea. If you go inland a little bit, a little bit west of that, I think that's where Sudan is. South Sudan is obviously south of that, and Darfur is in the southwest corner of Sudan. South Sudan achieved independence, what, within the last decade or so? Is that right?
3: Well, the uh, Comprehensive Peace Agreement was signed in January of 2005, stipulating that South Sudan would become independent in six and a half years, which did occur in July of 2011. It was hardly the end of South Sudan's problems. Um, but it it the peace agreement of 2003 was really in many ways bought at the cost of ignoring uh, Darfur, which we knew perfectly well was in the midst of uh, Catastrophic, ethnically targeted destruction. Um, But to get a better geographic sense of Sudan, imagine it as a country with four, excuse me, seven uh, neighbors, Uh, yes, Egypt, Libya, but also Chad, crucially Chad, which is where so many people are fleeing and where there are some 400,000 refugees, Central African Republic, South Sudan, Ethiopia, Eritrea, that's seven countries, all of them in some way or another, um, fragile. Uh, Egypt, perhaps least fragile, but most despotic. What we're looking at right now is the potential for the Sudanese state to disintegrate. Um, It will disintegrate in catastrophic fashion for many reasons, military, political, economic, But the upshot is that this disintegrating state will not be able to feed its people. The greatest issue, and the one least reported, I would say, and I follow Darfur news very, very closely, is that the UN estimated that there would be 20 million hungry people in August. That number could go up by 50%. And the acute nature of the hunger is almost certain certain to rise and indeed in North Darfur state which actually reaches up to Libya uh, as quite far north uh, the governor of the state issued a famine warning just today
1: I am uh, that's just chilling actually the hair in the back of my neck is standing up contemplating that but I'm looking right now at uh, the world Factbook, and I see that in terms of world population, Sudan has a population of 49 million people. The next person, the next country that has a a population of 49 million is Ukraine. So we're we're totally focused on Ukraine. Obviously, it's there in Eastern Europe. But um, my goodness, that is a lot of people with the kind of suffering that you're talking about, the kind of famine I mean, this sounds biblical, this famine. Why, why is there a famine of that magnitude?
3: Uh, there are two military combatants forces in, um, in fighting mainly in the capital, but the fighting is now bleeding out into all of Sudan. The regular army led by General al burhan and the rapid support forces an updated version of the Janjaweed, who became famous and notorious in uh, the early 2000s. They are fighting uh, to the death and have brought about in Khartoum unbelievable destruction. But the rapid support forces are very active uh, outside of Sudan. They are targeting agriculture, they are targeting farmers. They're especially targeting non-Arab farmers. Uh, The Janjaweed are an Arab militia force um, that became in 2013 what we call the Rapid Support Forces after a man named Hameti was appointed by former dictator al-Bashir to head the Rapid Support Forces. This period 2013 to 2019 is elided from most news reporting on Darfur, but in fact, the violence never stopped and its genocidal nature never stopped. There was a, a terrific Human Rights Watch report in 2015 making this clear, but it was the only uh, human rights report. There was no reporting, n- no human rights presence on the ground. So what I was writing and what others were writing depended upon sources. After a quarter of a century, I've developed some pretty good sources, and I'm quite confident in the information I get. And uh, what we're also seeing is a resurgence of the destruction of villages, uh, the destruction of farmland, the violent expropriation of farmland by the Rapid Support Forces, who are now indistinguishable from the Janjaweed in Darfur
1: so there is a legislative branch is there not
3: no there is no meaningful legislative branch
1: so it's effectively just a military dictatorship this is just a junta
3: in october uh, 2021 the nominally civilian government was thrown out by a coup that involved general or commander hameti and general alberhan uh, it was only a matter of time before they would come to blows. Um, that happened on April 15th of this year. And the, the violence in Khartoum, which has never seen anything like this, has been just extraordinary. Uh, we're seeing one of the great cities of the world uh, crumble before our eyes. Uh, very, very little reporting on this, uh, but that's the reality. And there is no way that the rapid support forces who claim a great deal of territory in, uh, in Khartoum can prevail in the sense that the people of Riverine, Sudan, the Nile River Valley, hate them. They're, uh, they're regarded as barbarians, and in fact, they are. Uh, but they're, they're well-armed. They're... Uh, Deeply committed to looting, and uh, they'll stay in Sudan and Khartoum until they're forced to go elsewhere in Sudan.
2: Eric Reeves, uh, this is Dan. I, I wanted to know if you could step back a little bit and talk about how uh, the former dictator, uh, Bashir, was removed from power. I think it happened in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Can you talk about the I guess, the exhilaration that happened back then and then what happened subsequently. I know you just mentioned that there was another coup in 2021 who took over, but can you talk about the sort of optimism that existed after, I guess, the dictator who had been in power for decades uh, was removed by a sort of swell of people power throughout Sudan?
3: Yeah, beginning in late uh, 2018, but indeed swelling rapidly and throughout Sudan was a civilian uprising Uh, that was the uh, force behind the removal of al-Bashir. The military tried to step in and uh, just replace al-Bashir with another general. That was not acceptable to this uh, very, very successful popular uprising, uh, which was really remarkable in Sudan's history. There had been previous uprisings, uh, but nothing that had the kind of success that um, the uprising of 2019 did. Unfortunately, it culminated in August of that year with a constitutional declaration that created what was called a sovereign council, chairmanship of, went, of which went to the military. Top guy was al second in command was Hemeti. Uh, I said at the time, this is a formula for disaster. You cannot have two generals and two armies in one country, one impoverished country, uh, with a long history of corruption and violence. This won't work. And it didn't work. Um, and the dismay of the Sudanese people is hard to capture. Uh, but uh, they went from seeing of the nominally civilian government to seeing a military government to seeing a civil war between the two generals who were senior uh, in the nominal government of Sudan.
2: And and may I just Buzz, do a quick follow-up with Eric here? Uh, so is that is that where we find ourselves now in Sudan? That there are these two warring generals for control of the country? Are they fighting in Khartoum? Can, can you just tell us what's happening, I guess, right now in Sudan? Khartoum being the capital Capital of Sudan.
3: The fighting is uh, most extreme in Khartoum, but we've also seen increasing numbers of attacks on non-Arab civilian populations in Darfur. Uh, It's almost an exact reprise of what we saw in 2002-2003. Villages of non-Arab people in West Darfur especially the Masli tribe um, are, are being attacked and attacked as such and thus meeting the key criterion of the 1948 UN genocide convention. People must be killed or deprived of livelihood because of who they are as such. Um, there are reports of enormous numbers of people killed well over 10,000, I would say, probably several times that, and several times that uh, in the form of refugees fleeing to Chad from uh, El Janain in the capital, which is right on the border, but other towns that were targeted in 2003 as well are being overwhelmed by these rapid support forces.
2: And, and just a last follow-up here, uh, Buzz, before we take a break, is uh, if the state of of Sudan collapses, as you've been describing it, and sort of there's this warring faction, a civil war, and people begin to flee for their lives. You you just mentioned Chad, which is a country neighboring. I mean, can you imagine the millions of people fleeing Sudan will potentially destabilize other countries in that region? Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, The flight to Eastern Chad brings refugees into a very poor Uh, and agriculturally unproductive region. Uh, And it's a long way from the capital of Chad and Jemena. Uh, Humanitarian aid is reaching the town of Adre, which is closest to the border, but not nearly enough humanitarian capacity exists on the ground uh, in Chad and certainly not uh, in Darfur itself. Uh, The road between Port Sudan, which is Khartoum, which is Sudan's port uh, on the Red Sea, is 500 miles from Khartoum. And it's another 500 miles from Khartoum to Darfur. So humanitarian aid is being bottled up in Port Sudan. It's taking long, dangerous convoy uh, missions way to the south and then to the west. Uh, but it, it's a trickle. And what we need is a flood of humanitarian relief.
1: We are speaking with a trustee of the Darfur Bar Association and truly an expert on Sudan, South Sudan, and Darfur, uh, Eric Reeves. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Eric, this story is so powerful. The numbers of people, so many millions. Why don't we hear more about it? Why are we so inattentive? We're going to talk to Eric Reeves more about our inattentiveness right after this.
0: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming
5: up right here on WHMP. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost.
6: Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward@whmp.com
7: or call me at 586-7400.
5: WHMP news, information, and the arts, and messages from community nonprofits. Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of
2: experience in a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of
5: watch repair and customization in the valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece,
2: and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton
8: what's cooking at river valley co-op here's avid eater grocery shopper and co-op member bill newman
0: ah summer in new england and the local farmers are showing up at the co-op every day with summer berries basil and tomatoes an endless bounty of fresh fruits and vegetables in the co-op meat department local chicken from reed farm house-made brats sausage lots of grilling ideas and in the co-op cheese department get fresh mozzarella for your caprese salad
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local, everyone is welcome. How long and how
4: hard would you work to own your
8: own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Grab a hammer, lend a hand, build a better world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. pvhabitat.org
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And we are back with Eric Reeves, who is uh, uh, reminding us, shamefully, I'm embarrassed, and uh, informing us on the current uh, status of Sudan um, in Eastern Africa, Darfur, which is suffering unthinkable human suffering, and uh, and, and South Sudan, to the extent we're talking about that as well. And before we uh, took a break, uh, I asked you, Eric, um, why is it that Sudan, and Darfur in particular, has fallen off our radar screen?
3: At the moment, uh, there's no adequate security for either journalists or human rights uh, reporting. Uh, The news I get comes primarily from Sudanese social media, which is quite active, and Sudanese uh, uh, newspapers, uh, uh, Radio Dabanga and the Sudan Tribune. But we know enough, we know enough. uh, The reports are dire enough that we should be hearing a great deal more than we are. And you asked me during the break, why has attention fallen away? Well, um, Darfur is not only very remote and without any international news or human rights reporting, it's remote, but it's also got a population that is black, that is poor, that is Muslim, and sits over no valuable resources, making it geostrategically unimportant. And that's how it's been treated by successive administrations. Uh, there's no been no serious commitment to bring about civilian rule in Sudan.
1: Do you think there's something that the Biden administration could be doing right now that would help bring about civilian rule
3: in Sudan? Well, the, the problem continues to be that the two generals, Hameti and Han, are legitimated as the only interlocutors in peace talks, um, uh, You cannot bring about peace by creating a a temporary ceasefire between two extremely violent men with extremely large ambitions. Uh, We need to figure out a way to make sure that Sudanese civil society is heard and that they are understood to be the representatives of what is best for Sudan, not two vicious uh, military men.
1: Yeah. What would you say to those listeners who are listening with horror, as you describe the current conditions in Sudan and Darfur in particular, what would you say they should do, that they can do uh, to make themselves feel like they're doing something to
3: uh, dampen this human tragedy? Jim McGovern, our congressman, has been one of the real stalwarts on Uh, Sudan, And he would be very receptive to hearing messages urging greater U.S. involvement. Uh, But I know that the office is hesitant at this moment to do more publicly than to condemn. And if there's one thing that Sudan has a surplus of, it's condemnations of the violence that we've seen uh, since 1989 when al-Bashir came to power. what we need now is some way to get humanitarian aid across the border, from Chad to uh, to West Darfur and from Port Sudan, uh, convoys need protection. Um, and it's not clear who will provide that protection. The African Union was supposed to have a ready response force, which could have served precisely in that role. Uh, if, if you want to do something concrete, uh, I have a project in the huge internally displaced persons camp called Zamzam in the capital of North Darfur, Al Fasher.
1: Z- Z-A-M-Z-A-M.
3: Yeah. Zamzam. Yeah. Okay. Zamzam. Um, and the project is focused on uh, responding to the needs of women and girls deeply traumatized by uh, rape and sexual violence, which has been a, a, an essential tool of war for the John Tweed and the RSF since the very beginning. Literally tens of thousands, t- many tens of thousands of girls and women have been raped, gang raped, and are in desperate need of um, uh, assistance. And that's one of the things we're doing at Uh, with this project I've set up with a Darfuri colleague in Zamzam camp.
1: If people wish to lend support, financial or otherwise, um, how do they contact Zamzam? How do they contact,
3: who should they contact? Well, uh, my website is www.ericreeves-woodturner.com i'm a woodturner among other things Um, my works at the uh, barrel gallery downtown but there are also a great many pieces for sale on the website Uh, i've frequently been a a a participant in the paradise city art festival i can no longer for medical reasons uh attend that show Uh, but a hundred percent of the proceeds from every purchase goes to zamzam a hundred percent Every purchase there's no overhead for this project it's uh, an extremely efficient way to get money to some of the most needy people in the world
1: so one more time tell them uh, how we can find
3: the website www.ericreeves-woodturner.com
1: Eric Reeves thank you so much for joining us today for updating us on what's going on in Darfur and Sudan and uh, really, it is, it's a heartbreaking uh, update, and it's one that we all should be more attentive about. And uh, I do hope that people will visit uh, wwwericreaves woodturner and support Zamzam and the other efforts that are involved in helping to defray some of the unthinkable horrors that uh, that population is suffering. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. We are going to be right back. We're going to be talking um, with a school committee member from um, uh, Greenfield about a uh, burgeoning controversy. Uh, Elizabeth Deneve will talk about the application by the Providence Christian Academy for a private school, a private uh, non-secular religious school in Greenfield that requires a school committee's approval before it can open. We'll be right back.
6: I said, Take this child, Lord, from Tucson, Arizona. Give her the wings to fly from harmony. She won't bother no more.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Students and community members came out and forced to rally against bullying and to protect LGBTQ students at Amherst Pelham School, who they say are victims of homophobic and transphobic bullying by other students and staff. Community members say they feel Superintendent Michael Morris should remain on leave because they say he failed to promptly address the problems at the school. A Title IX investigation is currently ongoing. The school committee tells 22 News they take the matter seriously, but must allow due process. A Wheatley business is being sued by a Baltimore tea company. Zest Tea is seeking $5.6 million from Tea Guys for breach of contract and unjust enrichment. The company says two guys failed to make vendor payments and make shipments. Judge David Hodge granted the motion to put a freeze on the Wheatley company's bank account for up to $5.67 million. Attorneys say Zest Tea has lost 36% of its value due to Tea Guys violating their agreement. MassDOT has formulated a plan to address the eroded slope beneath Route 2 and Gill. The first phase includes an earth support system that will allow eastbound traffic to be restored, including truck traffic, and should be completed within the next four to five weeks. The next phase will be full repair of the slope, which is still in the works. MassDOT will be monitoring the area closely, especially when weather conditions may impact the road. And Greenfield's new Community and Economic Development Director is on the job. Amy Kay Lane begins her new position today. She replaces MJ Adams, who left in April of this year. Kay Lane was formerly the executive director for the Downtown Northampton Association.
5: For today, we for a mixture of sunshine and clouds. Slight chance for a spot shower this afternoon, highs 78 to 82. For tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 54 to 58. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, highs in the mid and upper 70s. I'm 22 New Storm Team meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
4: We live in one of the most beautiful places in the country, the hill towns and valleys that we call home here in western Massachusetts. At the Franklin Land Trust, we're working with landowners and community members to protect the landscapes that give us productive farmland, clean water, and healthy woodlands. We don't have to travel too far these days to see places where those sorts of things are just a memory. Our staff and volunteers have helped us to protect more than 32,000 acres so far here in our region. And we hope that you'll consider supporting our efforts to take care of the land that we all love. The farms that give us fresh local food, the riverways that give us clean water, and the forests and wildlife habitats that provide us all with healthy air. For more information on our work of landscape conservation, please visit our website at franklinlandtrust.org. That's franklinlandtrust.org. And thank you for your consideration.
9: Imagine working hard for so many years and reaching your retirement only to find out there's an issue with your pension or 401k. Unfortunately, it's a problem too many Americans face. The New England Pension Assistance Project can help you get the benefits you've earned. Funded by the U.S. Administration on Aging, the New England Pension Assistance Project has a proven track record of success in obtaining benefits for its clients. From challenging pension denials and miscalculations to helping with the Division of Retirement Assets in Divorce and tracking down retirement benefits from past employers, the New England Pension Assistance Project has recovered more than $42 million in retirement benefits for its clients by providing them with free legal help. Contact the New England Pension Assistance Project at 888-425-6067, that's 888-425-6067, or visit them online at pensionhelp.org slash newengland. A public service message from the uS. administration on Aging's Pension Counseling and Information Program You're listening to
0: Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP
1: There is a controversy which uh, sounds important and as important as it is as it is that nettlesome um, that's a brew in. Uh, in Greenfield regarding the school committee's um, required approval of an application by a private Christian school to open this fall. Um, It is called the Providence Christian Academy. It uh, would operate, if allowed to, uh, out of the former uh, Greenfield Alliance Church on Chapman Street, and uh, when I say controversy, the controversy is inspired because there are the school committee's approval um, has been postponed until I think August seventeenth, and uh, in order to further evaluate the school's plans. With us to talk about it is school committee member Elizabeth Deneve, and I'm so grateful that you're here because um, it's confusing for a lot of us. This at the intersection of religious freedom and appropriate educational uh, curricula, uh, stands this uh, proposal. So first of all, welcome. Thank you.
10: Thank you for having me.
1: And um, the purpose of your concern, why are you so concerned about this application?
10: Well, are we... Just the mic. I'm, I'm concerned because the curriculum that they're choosing to use is well known to be problematic. Um, it's definitely not about the religious aspect of it. That's not something that I've really considered or made um, a point in my statement. Um, but it is about uh, religion reframing their beliefs to justify eroding the civil liberties through private education. So this particular curriculum, the Abeka curriculum, was developed in the '50s after um, Brown versus Board, and
1: developed by whom?
10: Developed by Rebecca Horton and her husband at the Pensacola Christian uh, College. So they developed that to sort of make this biblical curriculum, and it contains a lot of things that are really not appropriate for now. So that's uh, what my problem is.
1: And I, I read in an article in the Greenfield uh, Recorder on the 18th of July by Mary Byrne, uh, you're quoted as saying, uh, Elizabeth Deneve brought up the curriculum's teachings related to slavery, homosexuality, evolution, and modern psychology. Could you elaborate on what your concerns are in that regard?
10: Well, I mean, in some of the textbooks, they state that... Um, Slavery was just um, uh, cheaper than indentured servitude, so that's not something that I think that we should be teaching children. They say that Satan was the uh, father of modern psychology, and that he invented it. So that's also Satan was the father of modern psychology. That's right. So you can, um, I would really encourage people to Google the Abeka curriculum controversy because there are a lot of great articles out there.
1: Abeka, A-B-E-K-A.
10: That's right. That's right. And recently, the Huffington Post, the Washington Post, the New York Times. I mean, everybody's done a story on this. The Guardian's done a story on this. This is well-vetted information. So I would encourage people to look it up because the point of it all is... To really, it's a nationwide issue to gaslight, to bully, and to play a long game where the eventual goal is to have public school money be diverted.
1: I understand that the position of uh, this Providence Christian Academy includes the fact that this curriculum, which they want to engage in with approximately 30 students, I think, Mm -hmm. in their application, that's already been approved for homeschooling within the district. Is that true?
10: That's right. It is a homeschool curriculum and it's designed to be a homeschool curriculum.
1: And so what's the difference between allowing approval for it to be taught in a home and allowing approval for it to be taught in an academy?
10: That's a really good question and it's one that I wish that I could answer for you but cannot because Desi has this very specific... Desi Desi department. I know the... The The anachronism. Department (laughs) of Elementary and Secondary Schools. That's right. So they've given us guidelines that we have to go by, but they don't necessarily give us that information or guide us in any way, you know. So I wish that I could give you an answer to that. And that's something that we really should maybe get into in the future and find out.
2: So uh, this is Dan. I'm I'm a little confused by by this. So is this a charter school, like public, private school? How does it take money away from from public schools? As you just said, i'm I'm a little confused by that.
10: It's a private school. okay. And so the only um, financial interaction we'll be having with them is to uh, pay for the transportation of their students.
2: The city does right. And is that true for all private schools? Yeah, there?
1: that's an unfortunate yeah. Supreme Court decision that mm-hmm. that, that, that uh, the
2: cost of transportation falls on the on the towns?
1: Um those crumbled piece of concrete yeah. under underfoot. Yeah. That's the wall between
2: church and state
1: sort of crumbling under <laughs> your uh under your feet feet. But um yeah, that's really true.
2: And and they're allowed to create a school as long as they meet what minimum requirements about DESI? Can you tell me like where would Desi step in if they look at this curriculum and say, Well, clearly you don't meet our standards? Like, is does that exist? I'm sorry, this is a person who doesn't know anything about standards for schools and the statewide regulations, but I mean, can I go create a school and completely just make things up, you know?
10: Yeah. You totally
2: can. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I mean. That's so then what does question. Desi do? I mean, what does where Desi do? They, do? Right, where where did do they step in? in? I mean, at what point I could go create a school that says, you know, the dinosaurs and Abe Lincoln lived together in the 18, I can make it up, 1890s, and uh, he was never assassinated. I can make up fantasies and try to convince, you know, parents to send their kids there.
10: As long as of, it was your religious belief, you absolutely could do that.
2: Oh, that's where, okay, so as this is this ties into their religious beliefs integrating into the schools, and so mm-hmm. if they make it a religious belief, then they can supersede academic standards that schools are obliged to? Yeah. Is that what's happening here? Yeah. And you can run for president. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I can. I was actually born abroad, so, you know, there is that.
1: <laughs> well, Elizabeth Deneve, where are we going with this? Where, oh. where would you like to see... The school committee. Yeah. What is the date? Is it August seventeenth? Is that what I
9: read?
10: August 9th is the next full school committee meeting, but we will be having a special meeting tonight. That will be an executive session where I believe that the school will be approved. Why? Well, I. I mean, w- what's the basis <laughs>
1: for your belief, and why do you think the school committee will approve it?
10: Because I think that its members think that they're they're required to approve it, and so they will. As a matter of rubber stamping, Um, I've chosen to say no and to ask questions, um, but I have not, at this time, had any conversations with any members of the committee, so I don't know exactly what they'll do, but I'm fairly, I mean, I'm pretty sure that it will be approved. It's also on the agenda saying that vote to approve.
1: It it tells you how you're going to vote on something that's on the agenda? The
10: agenda says vote to approve the Christian school, so...
1: There's an issue, right? In we should have Amy Proietti on.
10: Yeah, that's another about. show. Yeah, well,
2: why? <laughs> but does the school. Sorry, this is Dan again. But what role does the school committee have in uh, approving or disapproving the, this school? I guess is is my concern because you just you both told me that it involves the cost of, of the roads of transportation. That's what falls on the city. Is there anything else that falls on the city? So in regards the city to the school?
10: has to go in and make sure that, for example, they are um, compi- um, complying with fire safety rules and student-to-teacher ratios, um, things like that, that they have um, all of their health issues in order, so they have a school nurse. And, you know, There's a whole checklist on the DESE website. These are things that I think that our superintendent could easily perform on their own and not something that the school committee should have to get involved in. I mean, that's my personal feeling. I'm not, I should never, I'm never speaking for the whole committee, of course, but. um,
1: Has Superintendent DeBarge actually weighed in on this question?
10: Well, she has offered um, insight about how the city would be involved with the school. She's done some reading and she's had, you know, she's apprised us of the uh, transportation issue, Uh, but no, she has not weighed in. I'm the only one who's weighed in really about how I feel about the curriculum.
1: You've been quoted in both articles that I've read about this extensively, yeah. and your opposition to this application um, is, is very clear in both articles that I read and yeah. from what you're saying right now. We happen to have avid, a retired Greenfield teacher here, uh, Doug Selwyn. Before we take a break, I'd like to ask you, how is how do we parse the content of a proposed curricular perspective and say, no, yours is inappropriate for our children, yours is appropriate. How do we, what, what criteria do we use to make those distinctions?
11: Well, I think it's a complicated question, of course, but um, there are standards, state standards that that kids are supposed to meet. I want to read something that comes from the eighth grade science, uh Abika curriculum. The Bible is God's perfect word. We can always trust what the Bible says about science and must reject any scientific ideas that contradict the Bible. As Does that sound peop- like
1: a science curriculum to you? As my people say, oive.
2: Well, this is Dan. I, I guess I guess the I guess the counter argument to this, and I'd love to hear from both of you, is well, parents believe what you just said to be true and they want to send their kids there. So why is that wrong i guess is is why why does the state's i guess power over what parents decide to do with their kids i guess even if, even if
1: that includes uh, rejecting the notion of science the very notion of science
2: i guess i guess if that's what parents believe they want their kids to be educated in would be the counter argument to that
11: well and i think so. i think the the issue is parents have a right to believe what they believe and teach their kids what they want but that's different from the state saying we approve of this mm. and so if If I want to teach my child a certain thing, that's fine And this is not again about religion as, as Elizabeth said, but it is if the state has a Responsibility if the state has a responsibility to monitor and, and you know a judge education um, they have standards that that it's supposed to meet. That's what all that fuss about the MCAS is about. That's what all the fuss about um, curriculum that is that is developed by the state and something that clearly contradicts that curriculum. Um, that becomes is, problematic.
1: That is retired teacher Doug Sowen. We're going to continue our conversation. This is a really important topic that we're uh, engaged in discussing with Elizabeth Deneve, school committee member. There's going to be a, uh, a meeting, uh, an executive session, uh, in which the agenda calls for approval of a an application to create uh, a school by the Providence Christian Academy, the curriculum of which appears to be anti, anti-science. Uh, uh, and According to Elizabeth Deneve, promotes uh, a view that none of us really hold of slavery, homosexuality, evolution, and modern psychology being spawned by Satan. We'll be right back with Elizabeth right after this.
0: Talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
5: Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we
11: didn't go
5: for this project the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million and we don't
7: get help with that so this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students
0: where the heart of the pioneer valley lives 1015 and 1400 WHMP news information and the arts Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a
1: community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. If you love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop.
5: Our beloved Local Hero Farms. Way too much rain, wiping out crops, wiping out entire farms. Our Local Hero Farms matter too much to let them go down. We're all together on a rescue mission. Go to the Help Flooded Farms page at the CESA Local Hero website. Support a specific farm or donate to CESA's Emergency Farm Fund. Local Hero Farms, think what life would be like without them. Go to the CESA website, buylocalfood.org, to the Help Flooded Farms page and kick in what you can.
0: Do you use home oxygen? Do you know about the increased risk of fires and burns? No one should smoke in your home. There's more oxygen in the air, which makes fires burn faster and hotter. Furniture, clothes, bedding, and hair absorb oxygen and can catch fire more easily. Keep 10 feet away from any flame or heat source. For more information, call 1-877-9-NO-FIRE or go to mass.gov slash DFS. Breathe easy and use your home oxygen safely. You're listening to "Talk the Talk" with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We are
1: back with Greenfield uh, School Committee member um, Elizabeth Dinev, and We're talking about the application uh, for approval by the school committee of uh, the Providence Christian Academies' uh, request to be able to set up a private religious school. Um, in Greenfield on Chapman Street. Um, and according to DESE, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education's guidelines, a school committee needs to approve such an application, but very little guidance about what to do if, um, if it disapproves of the curricular uh, objectives that the school intends to teach. Here, Elizabeth Deneva has been explaining to us how she has nothing against religious um, religion um, and um, uh, private religious entities teaching religion, but you've been explaining to us, Elizabeth, what they're teaching here is hate. They're teaching hate and anti-science. Right. So I asked you during the break, what should people do? You have this upcoming uh, executive session with the school committee when the application is going to be entertained. And you told me you think it's a done deal that because there's a the threat of lawsuit, is going right. to all but compel the school committee to approve it. What do you think the school committee should do, and what do you think other people should ask their school committee representatives to do?
10: Well, I don't think that we can really do anything because we don't have any money to fight a lawsuit. So this is not any – we can't be helped in this particular situation. But I think that we need to urge people to be vocal about it, to write to their local school committees if this is an issue coming up, write to us in Greenfield. I think that the school committee should make a resolution and send it to DESE, basically saying that they need to do their own job and not pass it Desi to the school needs committee.
1: to do their own That's job. That's right. They
10: should not be passing the buck to us. Um, I also think that we need to do some state advocacy as a school committee, working with local legislators um, around... Um, Working towards some regulations for curriculum in the future and also just to make sure that people aren't just bystanders, but they're willing to get involved in the educational issues. Maybe run for your local school committee if there's a seat coming up and you have feelings about this.
1: And what could you do as a school committee member if you have if you run and win and have feelings about this? You I can- mean, you're telling us you feel fairly impotent to be able to prevent this school from opening and disseminating what you find to be a highly objectionable uh, set of curricular notions to impose on our kids, you're offended by it, but you feel incapable, powerless to stop it.
10: I mean, I don't really feel powerless. I mean, I'm here speaking with you, and that's just sort of a form of power. Um, I think that... Um, a school committee that worked well together in a district that had money could fight this, and that may well happen soon, and then maybe we'll have a precedent to help us nationwide.
1: We only have a minute, but what happened in Somerville? Quickly?
10: In Somerville last year, the same thing occurred with the Vita Real Church and their curriculum, and months of debate between the school committee ended in them approving with one disapproval, and they disavowed the curriculum and sent a resolution to Desi.
1: Well, this the curriculum is called Abica. A-B-E-K-A you can read more about this the recorder had two articles by Mary Burns um, on the 18th of July and on the 25th of July and I will tell you that it gave me the shivers um, reading about this I'm very grateful that you are uh, raising the issue Elizabeth Deneve thank you because I think it's really important that we are aware of what our teacher our kids are being taught
10: Thank you. It means a lot to me that you have me come down and talk about this, because it really is about what what the kids want to, you know, what they experience in Uh, their education. Something
1: our listeners should know about. You too, Doug Selwyn. Thanks for what you've done for our children as a retired teacher, and thank you for being active on this. And for you listeners, thank you so much for joining us on Talk to Talk. Uh, These are two important issues. One, very local, what we've just been talking with Elizabeth about, and, of course, Darfur. And please pay attention to what we can do to help with that, uh, the famine and uh, sexual violence there. Thank you. Remember to talk the talk and to walk
0: the walk. This is Talk the Talk.
6: Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more about what you can do at ctriver.org. Using WIC is easier than ever. Now you can use
7: the WIC card instead of checks for your food purchases.
8: WIC is a free nutrition program that helps working families stretch their food budget and make healthy choices. WIC helps families learn to shop for nutritious foods, and offers resources like online nutrition education and an app to make shopping easier. Visit us online at mass.gov slash to find out if you qualify.
5: This message is brought to you by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health's WIC Nutrition Program.
0: WHMP Northampton and W- WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
1: It is Monday, and I'm a very lucky co-host of Talk to Talk because I get to, uh, I get the, the mayor of Northampton, Gina Louise Shara all to myself because Newman's off doing Newman things. So, hello, Mayor. Thank you for joining me.
8: Good morning, Buzz. It's so great to be with you.
1: Oh, it's really great. So you have um, just uh, sworn in uh, a new uh, fire and rescue chief Andrew Pilas to be the city's next chief of the Northampton fire and rescue. That's a big deal, mayor. Could you tell us? It
8: is a very, thank you. Yes, it is a very big deal. Um, so our, our, our former now former chief John Davin was just named as the state fire marshal, which is a remarkable, um, achievement for him. We're incredibly proud. We are very sad to lose him. Um, but we're, we're very proud that he's being recognized for being, um, just the the best in the field and, um, they are right to recognize that in him. He's was truly a remarkable chief. And um, I just want to,
1: I just want to stick in, not only is it his achievement, but I think we all in Western Massachusetts should be really grateful that somebody who understands this region is going to be heading, he's going to be supervising 800 employees. It's, it's a pretty big responsibility, but he knows Western Mass and
8: what our needs are. He does and you're absolutely right he is the first person to hold that position for the state from western mass so it is fabulous to have someone there who understands western mass and um, will be able to uh to represent our interests and really get get some of the 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 issues particularly around the rural districts that um are particular to this part of of the commonwealth and um, haven't maybe been uh given as much attention because there have always been folks from from more eastern mass um so that's very very important so um today is his first day with that and we wish him all the best and we're incredibly proud and i was able to swear in as um interim until approved but or confirmed by the council um our new fire rescue chief andy pelis who who like um actually john davin has spent his career with the northampton uh, it was the Northampton Fire Department, now Northampton Fire Rescue. Um, both of them um, have served for 25 years. So they, um, it was very touching to be at that swearing in and to hear both of them speak about their mutual respect and friendship with each other. They are close friends. Um, and I, one of the things that I spoke about was, um, you know, our, our Fire Rescue Department is just remarkable professionals and one of the things that um, they also do that I think is a good mark of a professional department is they do wonderful succession planning. They're very good at, at supporting the people in their department and training them and preparing them for success and preparing them for, for them to be able to move to uh, the different levels in the department. And so this was another instance of that where I feel incredibly comfortable um, appointing Andy Pelas, who's a remarkable um, has been a remarkable member of the department, and actually has has worked in every um, area of the department, and so knows the department inside and out, and will be a truly remarkable uh, fire chief. And um, I look it forward is, to.
1: Hear. I think it's really refreshing, Mayor Shiar, because often what we hear about is, particularly in the arena of public safety, ah, uh, cities tend to reach elsewhere, and pull mm-hmm. in chiefs and heads of departments that. That may not really know the department the way that uh, interim chief Pilos seems to know the uh, Northampton uh, department. He's been he's been there for almost a quarter of a century and he's worked at every level of yes. uh, of work at. And it, it's also interesting when you talk about the relationship. There's something about fire departments that's different because they risk their lives together. This it's sort of like a you know, a band of siblings that uh, you develop a feeling when when you're fighting a fire with somebody else and has each other's backs, it's a different kind of feeling than when you're working in a cubicle next to somebody, right?
8: It's definitely true. There's an incredibly strong sense of camaraderie that that they have. And, you know, they, they do have to depend on each other and know that in a moment of emergency that they have full trust in each other. So I think it, it does, it creates that, um, that really remarkable sense of teamwork and bonding. And I certainly see that in our fire rescue department.
1: So why is uh, now Chief, Interim Chief uh, Pelas, why the interim term? Why does he need approval from the council?
8: That's a great question, Buzz. So department heads um, are appointed by the mayor and then must be confirmed by the council. So that next step, um, I will be putting forward this appointment to the council at their next meeting. And then they will um, probably interview uh, interim chief at their city services meeting, which is their subcommittee that handles appointments. Um, And then they will, um, I I fully expect and hope that they will confirm him um, at the council meeting that follows that.
1: How often do you meet with a fire chief?
8: At least monthly. So I meet with most department heads monthly, um, and certainly the fire chief is one of the ones that i I meet with every month. Um, and then depending, you know if there are other things that are happening, um it's more often than than once a month. But at the very minimum, we have a um, a standing meeting
3: once a month.
1: We have what a uh, unusual i don't, I don't know what the, I don't know how to describe the weather we've been having it's been much hotter than any of us care to uh, be uh, suffering um, at the same time wetter. Um, How has the, has has there been more fires, fewer fires because of the rain, more fires because of the heat? Do you, you know the answer to that? How busy are they?
8: Uh, Well, they are always busy. So they're also, you know, they're a fire rescue department. So they also do um, EMT service. So, they are busy and their call of volume has been increasing annually every every year um, we have seen an increase so they are a very very busy department um, that does a lot more than um firefighting but um, they you know we there are still fires that happen uh, i would say i you know obviously we've one of the things that we've ex- been experiencing weatherwise is fires from other parts of the world um, and you know the smoke from Canada has something that we've really seen a lot this summer, um, but we have not had a great deal of of our own fires, thankfully. Um, so not not anything outside of the norm, I would say.
1: And yet, in Amherst, a terrible fire at the J and J farm, that happened whenever it was four or five weeks ago. Um, I know that Northampton was one of the departments that that uh, responded to that, and that was a. Fortunately, it wasn't a house. It, got two damaged it was three barns that got damaged but that, that those flames were fire. 75 feet into the air i'm guessing um
8: yes that was a devastating fire and i know uh from talking to the chief then that um we were very proud that all the cows were saved so it wasn't a house but it, there was livestock there and and everyone um no, no animal perished in that fire, I believe, which everyone was very pleased about. But that, that was one of those fires where you have response from all neighboring communities.
1: Yeah, I had. It was a very long time ago. I was a young man, and for a couple of years, I was a volunteer in our local Hilltown Fire Department. And um, I saw what the training was. Even when you just touch on training, it's it's a very sobering... Um, the videos you watch, the things which you read, they, they are sobering. There's nothing fun or just, you know, intellectual about it. It's really down there in the on the ground. I I was going to Greenfield last week and I drove by and I saw young Jesse Rosnick along with 10 other Northampton firefighters there at Tom's Dogs, whatever Tom's is called there, and I pulled over and said hello because I hadn't seen him for a while and and um they were there for hazmat training which is Talk about frightening. I mean, we also saw what happened in Cleveland. That—that's serious training.
8: Yes, we we are part of the hazmat team, and there's they do remarkable training across the board. And um, you know, again, they um, we have an EMS service, right? So, um, as you said, their training is sobering. Of course, their their training around um, fire is sobering, but they they also. Um, deal with people who are sick or in medical crisis, um, and deal with some really, really heavy, intense stuff, and do it with remarkable skill and professionalism. And I'm incredibly proud.
1: That's why well you should be mayor. Yeah. You know, just before we take a break, I'll just say, my wife uh, six and a half weeks ago had a fall and fractured her hip, and um, I called nine one one when I found her on the ground there, and um, I just stood and watched the level of professionalism from Ashfield and Goshen, the way that they handled um, this person who was lying on the ground and the way that they managed to get her into an ambulance and the speed and efficiency. Uh, I'm very grateful um, to to Fire and Rescue because uh, when we need them, uh, and we got to make sure that when we need them, they're there. That's yes. the big thing yeah
8: indeed i hope that she has a very speedy recovery i'm so sorry to hear about that
1: well thank you she's really doing great we uh we actually had our first sort of venture out of the house big venture we went to uh clark museum on saturday and she walked for an hour and 45 minutes through that munch exhibit which is there and uh, she was tired on the ride home but she was uh she was ambulating (laughs)
8: <laughs> good for her i mean that's probably the best thing she could do for recovery but that's amazing
1: you're right we are uh really glad to be talking on mayors monday with uh northampton mayor gina louise Ciara. when we come back we're going to talk about something that's a little bit more uh nettlesome annoying and frightening than our new interim fire chief pelas we're going to talk about the mosquito issues here in northampton we'll be right back
12: you say you want to be alone, you say you don't love me, but you can hide your desire.
1: when we kiss
0: fire. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, coming up right here on WHMP. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 1015 and 1400. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP.
6: At Greenfield Savings Bank, one of the things we love about living in the Valley is all the locally grown food that's available here. For more than 25 years, a local nonprofit called CESA, which stands for Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture, has been promoting locally grown food and supporting farms, farmers markets, and food businesses in our Valley. And to support CESA's mission, Greenfield Savings Bank is giving new customers a CESA canvas tote bag as a thank you gift when they open a new free GSB checking account. There are no monthly fees, no transaction fees, and you get free online banking, free e-statements, free debit card, and free GSB mobile app, including depositing checks from your mobile device. Our existing customers can also get a CISA Canvas tote bag when they enroll in GSB's free mobile banking or sign up for e-statements. So join GSB and show your support for locally grown food and local banking.
9: Get your Sisa Canvas tote bag thank you
0: gift from Greenfield Savings Bank. See bank or visit greenfieldsavings.com for full details. Member FDIC, member DIF.
9: Caring for someone with cancer is hard. You're so busy taking care of someone else you have no idea how you feel. There's so much you can't say. You run on adrenaline. You're worried you're gonna burn out. Cancer Connection offers support groups just for caregivers, exercise classes to blow off steam, even Reiki. It's all free. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And we are back. It is Mayor Monday, Mayor's Monday, and we're back with Mayor Gina Louise Shara of the Great city of Northampton, but the great city of Northampton, mayor, has been plagued I mean it's like pestilence kind of plagued by mosquitoes uh, We were over not too long ago at a friend's house, and there are crazy mosquitoes. Um, is this what can government do about that?
8: So first of all, you're right there so this is actually a western mass issue that um, communities are having right after the floods. This has caused this huge increase in the mosquito population. You are going to get no argument from me. I hate mosquitoes. I mean, who doesn't hate mosquitoes, except for maybe bats, I guess, don't hate mosquitoes. But um, I hate mosquitoes as well. And yes, there are a ton of mosquitoes right now that um, are um, you know, a consequence of that horrible flooding that we had. So. Um, just to talk a little bit about what we do in general for for mosquitoes. Here in Northampton, we annually um, do some larvicide. So we do it in all of our catch basins, and then we specifically do it in the meadows. We do that a couple of times during the summer. But because of uh, the floods and, and this huge bump in the population of mosquitoes, we are doing additional larvicide that we don't usually do. now larvicide um, that we use is species-specific. It doesn't harm humans, animals, birds, other insects, or um, plants, or the environment. So, that is what we have been doing for years and what we're doing now. Um, Part of the issue uh, we have, one, you know, of course, as I said, this is something that every community is experiencing because of all of the rain and the wetness. Um, But Here in Northampton, we have an ordinance against using pesticides. So as a community, we we don't use pesticides in our public spaces, in our parks. Um, So we are limited in what we can do, and as a community, I think we've expressed strongly that we're not comfortable with pesticides, Um, but we do do this larvicide. And I I understand that this is really frustrating for everyone, but the most important thing that I can impress upon folks is that we do incredibly careful and regular diligent monitoring of the mosquitoes. We are part of the Pioneer Valley Mosquito Control District. Actually, um, Commissioner, our Department of Health and Human Services Commissioner O'Leary, Meredith O'Leary, is part of the Pioneer Valley Mosquito Control District Board. So that's a five person board for the Pioneer Valley. um, And she's one of those five commissioners on that. And we do incredibly strict regular testing. And what I can tell everybody, yes, mosquitoes are a huge nuisance and they're terrible and it's miserable to be outside with them around in the volume that they are right now but we are currently at the lowest possible risk for eee or west nile virus so that's, that's e- the that's real- eastern
1: equine encephalitis is eee and yes. the west nile virus which is potentially fatal
11: diseases. so
8: e- west nile virus is actually um not as much of a concern in terms of um fatality but eee is that is a huge health concern um Generally, it's not seen on this part of the state, it's more often seen on the eastern part of the state. Right now, there's there's not an elevated risk anywhere, but you can go to the DPH site at math.gov and check our uh, risk level. Right now, we are at the lowest possible risk level for EEE and um, also for West Nile. Now, that may change. It often does change as the summer goes along and you start to see more incident of a disease Um, a little bit later in the summer, sometime in August. So conditions may change, but as of right now, I know that there are people who are really very concerned. We are not concerned from a public health standpoint in terms of disease. Yes, terrible, miserable, everyone hates it. But we and we have just done additional treatment with larvicide. Um, Again, not that's something that we don't usually do at this time of the summer. And you certainly couldn't do it when we were having intense rains because it would just wash away. But we have we have been treating since things were dry enough. um, We have been treating those areas again to um, to try and deal with some of that larva and keep the population down. But it's um, I. I am experiencing the same thing everyone else is. And yeah, it's awful.
1: It's awful. And um, I was looking at your website, Mayor, and and I see here, uh, take precautions to prevent disease. It says here that uh, the symptoms to look out for for EEE is fever, headache, body aches, joint pain, vomiting, diarrhea, or rash. But then it says, although rare, some people who are infected develop serious, uh, severe illness. But then it goes on to say that Children are a greater risk um, for infection by mosquitoes than adults are. So I guess we really want to keep our eyes on our kids, right? And look for those symptoms.
8: Absolutely. If you have any symptoms you're concerned about, you know, get, get, um, you know, seek care immediately. But again, you know, all, all, the whole region is tested and there are mosquito control districts throughout the Commonwealth. So mosquitoes are being tested across the Commonwealth and right now we're not seeing disease if that changes then you know then we could you know we might have to override certain things um to be able to to deal with a public health emergency but right now there isn't a public health emergency it's just a miserable horrible nuisance which i understand people really really hate i do too um you know one of the things the city of northampton um the city council specifically has actually for the last two years although not this year um the previous two years had opted out on aerial spraying. so the state had allowed um cities to opt out if they didn't feel like that's something that they wanted to do and the city council had done that in 21 and 22. that opt-out provision was had um sunset last year and wasn't provided this year. So the city did not opt out because there wasn't a way. I think actually Senator Comerford is working on new legislation to try and come up with better ways to um, better, safer ways to do treatment for mosquitoes. Um, But so we have not opted out. And if there was a public health emergency, um, then the Pioneer Valley Mosquito Control District would would meet and work with the Board of Health and figure out how we could do some treatment to try an abatement. But right now, there is no public health emergency. Um, but we, again, as I said, that could change, it often does change, and we start to see, see disease later in the summer. So, you know, I know that people are sort of frustrated with the advice that everyone should Look around their properties and try and do whatever abatement that they can. But it's truly very important. Any standing water that you see, even a tiny bit of water, if you have, you know, like a pot for a plant that has some water in it, that can breed thousands of mosquitoes. So any standing water or any abatement that you can do at home is going to help keep the population down. And again, we're we're treating with larvicide to try and keep um, the population down, but um, we are monitoring constantly and and um, looking out for
1: disease. For those listeners who, like me, don't live in the valley, we live at, I live at almost 1,500 feet up in the hill towns, and we don't see mosquitoes, and I haven't seen mosquitoes even during all these rains. I'm sorry, I'm not gloating. I'm not trying to make anybody like envious, but uh, I am wondering whether or not the uh, Pioneer Valley Mosquito Control District, of which Northampton, and you said the Pioneer Valley is involved, is that for municipalities that are hill towns as well as those who are actually in the valley do you know um
8: the i could look up who's part of that um control district but i imagine it could be i'm delighted for you that you're not experiencing the same issue but you're the only thing buzzing around where you live is that right
1: boy i'm
8: sorry you know i had to Uh,
1: yeah you had to yeah it's okay (laughs) no it's you know it's uh as long as you don't mention the word light year, I'm good. But, <laughs> no, but the truth is we didn't, you know, we have, uh, when I come here to Northampton to be in the studio, uh, I was one of the last cars that they let through in Williamsburg when we had the terrible flooding. Um, oh. you know, whatever it was two weeks ago. Um, we don't have that kind of flooding up the higher levels. It all comes down to you, right? Sadly, it comes down to you. And, And we don't have as much pooling as you have here. And we don't see mosquitoes. And and it's funny you mentioned bats because this year we've seen a resurgence of the kinds of bat activities we used to see. We are very grateful to see in the sky at dusk. Um, I I think I counted like 11 at one time. I was trying to count how many are up there. Um, And they too are a reason why we're getting our mosquito population controlled. But... um, uh, uh, yes,
8: uh, I hope that this will help the bat population, which is, has its own struggles. Yeah, but so, again, I I feel for everyone. Um, so the Pioneer Valley um, Mosquito Control District has, I think, twenty two current members that um, go as far as Leiden, It looks like, and Heath um, goes down to West Springfield. So um, if uh, communities can can join and become become a member of that. Um, that state district. So, uh, any other communities out there that have been seeing commuto- mosquitoes and want to join? Um, join I the suggest- district.
2: Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mayor, I wanted you to at least mention here before we go um, about the recent buzz that's been going around downtown Northampton. A lot of new businesses are opening up on uh, on Main Street. So before we go, I just wanted you to get your thoughts on that.
8: Yes, so of course that's, about the most exciting thing a mayor can experience. I did two ribbon cuttings. um, The last two Fridays I've had ribbon cuttings, which is just the best feeling. Um, So yes, I think there is some buzz and excitement. There are some great new places. I um, hope that everyone enjoyed sidewalk sales. There was a a lot of great action downtown. We hope very much that the weather will continue to be beautiful like it is today and we can have all of the the programmed music that is at the three locations at summer on strong and then masonic street live and then um, bands on brewster and then the concert series is starting in pulaski park very soon so there's a lot of um, exciting things happening and please go frequent these new businesses um, they they are fabulous, and we're just so glad, and I'm so grateful for their investment in Northampton. I
2: I can just mention Buzz. Uh, on Saturday, I went to the new Moroccan cafe that opened up on Main Street. Nice. Yeah, the the ambiance of it makes you feel like you're in another country. Did you eat they really Inside did or outside? Uh, I just had a coffee, and that was fine. And uh, but yeah, it, there there were quite a few people going in and out because it's a new place. So they had a lot of um, samples provided and they had a really good cookie um forgot the name of it but i uh
8: i had some good cookie samples too so that's Miriam's that just opened yeah and it's so beautiful and they're the sweetest people and so please everyone go and support them
1: well i I would just say before we go that my spouse my best friend that i mentioned earlier she owned essentials uh here in northampton uh for 22 years or something um and uh, so she is totally committed to Uh, the commercial viability of small business here in Northampton, and uh, is one of the biggest cheerleaders of uh, let's get more business flowing post-pandemic business, and let's open up a lot of those storefronts that uh, have been closed. Meanwhile, uh, what a pleasure for me to speak to you, Mayor, and uh, I just thank you so much for joining us today for what you're doing to control this terrible mosquito blight for those people who live here. I I may not be a resident in Northampton, but I did experience getting swamped when i was going for a walk of those mosquitoes and uh i'm I'm so glad that people are taking care of it and also congratulations on the new interim fire chief i'm sure he's going to be great i'd love to hear these homegrown stories
8: thank you i'll i will pass that on to him and you should have him on sometime he's a he's a really wonderful person we're going to do it
1: congratulations chief uh pilas we you'll be hearing from us mayor uh until next month have a great month
8: Thanks, Buzz. You too. Take care. Bye.
1: We will be right back.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Students and community members came out and force to rally against bullying and to protect LGBTQ students at Amherst Pelham School, who they say are victims of homophobic and transphobic bullying by other students and staff. Community members say they feel Superintendent Michael Morris should remain on leave because they say he failed to promptly address the problems at the school. A Title IX investigation is currently ongoing. The school committee tells 22 News they take the matter seriously but must allow due process. A Wheatley business is being sued by a Baltimore tea company. Zest Tea is seeking $5.6 million from Tea Guys for breach of contract and unjust enrichment. The company says two guys failed to make vendor payments and make shipments. Judge David Hodge granted the motion to put a freeze on the Wheatley company's bank account for up to $5.67 million. Attorneys say Zest Tea has lost 36% of its value due to Tea Guys violating their agreement. MassDOT has formulated a plan to address the eroded slope beneath Route 2 and Gill. The first phase includes an earth support system that will allow eastbound traffic to be restored, including truck traffic, and should be completed within the next four to five weeks. The next phase will be full repair of the slope, which is still in the works. MassDOT will be monitoring the area closely, especially when weather conditions may impact the road. And Greenfield's new Community and Economic Development Director is on the job. Amy Kay Lane begins her new position today. She replaces MJ Adams, who left in April of this year. Kay Lane was formerly the executive director for the Downtown Northampton Association.
5: For today, with a mixture of sunshine and clouds. Slight chance for a spot shower this afternoon, highs 78 to 82. For tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 54 to 58. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, highs in the mid and upper 70s. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Get takeout? Save 30%. Get candles? Or hit the links? Save 30%. Doll grooming?
8: Outdoor recreation? Burritos? Save 30%. The Shop 30 Store.
6: Full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were gonna buy anyway. The Shop
8: 30 Store. Open right now at WHMP.com.
7: Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400.
5: WHMP news, information, and the arts and messages from community nonprofits. Saga Communications of New England is looking for an IT administrator to work in a fast-paced and challenging work environment. This position requires a strong self-starter with the ability to quickly learn new processes. You're a team player that can take ownership of local IT operations and contribute to a team of IT engineers. You must possess the ability to juggle and prioritize work while supporting numerous employees in three locations in Western Mass. There will be regular travel to Springfield, Northampton, and Greenfield. Flexibility is the key to success. The ideal candidate will be somebody who has an interest in the broadcast radio industry and knowledge of LAN and WAN support. You should understand Windows Active Directory, networks, router, and firewall functions, and have experience with desktop support of Office 365 and utilizing a help desk environment supporting users in multiple locations. And yes, you'll receive great benefits. Please send your cover letter and resume to ITjobs at SpringfieldRocks.com. Saga Communications of New England is an equal opportunity employer.
0: You are listening to "Talk the Talk" with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And we are very fortunate. We have a special guest today. We have the uh, Hampshire County Sheriff Patrick K. Lane joining us today. The Sheriff of the Hampshire County House of Correction and Jail. And hello, Sheriff. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I I have a number of questions, but first, let me just start with a sort of continuation of what I was just discussing with Mayor. Shiro, which is this terrible weather that we've had, this terrible heat that we've had, and the rains that we've had, has that affected the residents of the jail and the house of correction?
12: Well, uh, on one level, it, I think it affects everybody because uh, the heat has just been so brutal. But uh, on the other side of that coin, we we can have people stay indoors. Uh, we do have heat protocols that we utilize uh, through our medical department. Uh, yeah, it's a health. It's a health it, issue. It becomes a health issue, and so. Uh, the health and safety becomes the the first priority, and uh, you know, and we like everybody else. Uh, there are mosquitoes, but uh, and we want to keep people uh, inside when the heat is is this brutal, and uh, you have a mosquito uh, issue surrounding a whole community. It's not just here.
1: Yeah, I think you should let the residents out and uh, jail all the mosquitoes. I think everybody <laughs> would applaud that. <laughs> Uh, what is a bridge to the future? Could you explain for folks what that is?
12: Uh, the bridge to the future is a program that we opened up uh, seven, year, eight years ago, I believe it was now, um, and it is um, it, it is our view of what the future should look like for those individuals who are at the end of an, an incarcerated uh, situation. So uh, they're in programs in the community. They're in our our house that we've been renting for all of this period of time, and so the Department of Capital Asset Management, which is uh, what raised the question, uh, uh, why are we advertising for it? Well, it's uh, it's a requirement by the Commonwealth that uh, once you have have a location for a period of time, you have to go back out and see what else is out there uh, f- for program space that is that is just uh, competitive t- bidding, kind of competitive thing. bidding, and and it's too. Um, ensure that agencies are following the rules that are set down by the Commonwealth is what it amounts to. So tell us about not only the program Bridge to the Future, but about our house as well. So uh, the program that we're running now, um, there are individuals who are there. They're all on electronic monitors, uh, which we we oversee. Uh, Those individuals uh, go out into the community daily on uh, depending on what their track is. Some of them may be going to a college program. Some may be going to work. Some may be going to uh, a program through uh, the Community Justice Resource Center, which is on Pleasant Street. Or um, we, have, we have just finished up a program uh, with the Community Action and uh, Greenfield Community College where Uh, It's a manufacturing program and it's a training program. And and so that program, all those individuals live in that house and they're getting ready to go back into society and go back into the community and do all the things that we expect citizens to do. How many uh, residents at a time can benefit from Bridge to the Future? Uh, We can house up to 16 individuals in uh, in the program at the present time. Uh, Just for Hampshire County? Hampshire County. Yes. And how many residents are in the, in
1: the house of correction in Hampshire County right now?
12: There, as of this morning, there were 145.
1: So that's a, a, over 10% yeah. can participate um, in this program that brings them out of the walls Yes. and that actually prepares them for life after, after incarceration. Right? That's correct. Yes. And um, what is the success rate? That is, I guess I should ask, what is the recidivism rate for people who have gone through the Bridge to the Future program? Do they
12: end up avoiding incarceration in the future? Do they get jobs? They they do get jobs. They do get uh, into programs. Um, recidivism rates are, are one of those areas that uh, can be very dicey when people are talking about them because uh, one of the things that happens is uh, those individuals who go back to what I'd refer to as normal living and life, um, we may never see again. And the whole system may never see again. And therefore, those are individuals that uh, just go back to working and living. It
1: gives corrections uh, the name that we want to give it.
12: Yes, absolutely. And so what we end up with, uh, and the Bridge to the Future, if if everybody makes it through all of our programming uh, from start to finish and go through the Bridge to the Future house— the, the last time we did a statistical review, it, it looked like about 20% uh, was the recidivism rate in that, in that group. But it's it's a small group, but every person who gets through that program and does the right thing is success. And that's what we're supposed to be looking at as human beings. So uh, what I'm looking at is uh, how many people go through a program and uh, like with the Greenfield Community College and, and Community Action uh, Manufacturing Program, uh, we do four weeks of intensive education at Greenfield Community College. And at the end of the four weeks, they go to work. They will guarantee a placement in a job. And they will go to work for a manufacturing company, uh, usually using technology. And so that first two weeks is paid for through the program. And then after that, an employer makes a decision. Is this a person who will fit the program? And and they may get permanent employment from that. And uh, so so those are the things that we look at because if you get a person um, housing, if you get them a job and you get them reconnected with family, uh, you know, if if the family situation is to a point of stability, then then the chances of success are really, really good and we never see those people again. You know? that,
1: I, that's what I wanted to pursue. I mean, you just sort of stole my thunder because that was my next question. And let me just set up the question. I'm old enough as an attorney to remember this uh, sort of uh, drift into punitive punishments in the 90s where we came, became far less tolerant. Um, sentences became... Uh, mandatory minimums and harsher, and um, rehabilitation was de-emphasized, um, and it actually, by some people in the criminal justice uh, arena, frowned upon. Um, and then, thankfully, by my standards, rehabilitation has become a goal uh, of correction in recent decades. Yeah. You and the sheriff of Franklin County, Chris Donilon, um both embrace rehabilitation and training and education. Over punitive punishment. But in your view, here's my question. It's not a fair question. Nothing is perfect and ever the Pollyanna. I'm just wondering do you think that everybody is salvageable? That is, that everyone can be rehabilitated if the circumstances are right? Whew.
12: Well, I guess uh, that was the sound uh, of the that, sheriff saying, whoo. That, that's, that's a tough question because uh, I. I, like you, have been around a long time and, and realized that um, there are some people who struggle day in and day out. Uh, I have seen people come through the system 10, 11 times, and then on the 11th time, they become successful. Uh, something happens that they realize that the the path that they were on uh, is not working, and they change the path. And, uh, and uh, so I don't know if everybody is, can change the path. Um, you know, we we have a percentage, and in, and uh, in, including in Massachusetts, of of people who are locked up indefinitely. Um, but if you look at the European countries, the European countries look at it uh, very differently, and uh, everybody has a chance to and be sometimes salvaged. prisons
1: without walls.
12: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and so. So we haven't gotten there as a society in in the United States yet. I th- I think we have to get there. Uh, because I think you, you have to look at, uh, y- you know, where are we going as human beings more than anything else? Do you start from the presumption that, hey, everybody can be salvaged, we
1: just have to find the right, uh, uh, what, programs,
12: mechanisms, approach, humanism? Yeah. Is, is that the presumption? Because that's my presumption. Yes. Yeah, and you have to start from there. And, and every person is different, so that's why we assign case managers to each individual and and try to set up a, a separate program for everybody and and we have because there's been so many uh, situations now where the pretrial population uh, up until uh, maybe 10 years ago uh, most places uh, pre-trial populations did no programming now if you look across the commonwealth the uh, you will see that many many departments are utilizing that pretrial time as an opportunity. I I just
1: want to, just for any listeners who might not understand what you're saying, there are two, let's say, there's many different categories of people up at the uh, House of Correction, but um, those people who are awaiting trial or a resolution of the charges against them, and those are the pretrial people you're talking about, those who have already been convicted there they're a different population than the pretrial population. You're focused on the pretrial po- population right now and what you're yeah, saying.
12: That, yes. And and so we we're now looking at that population and if they want to get into a program, we try to match that program for them. Depending on depending on their circumstances, everything is analyzed by staff and and through um, through an assessment process so that we can we can make sure that we put the right person into the right situation, and hopefully help them along the way. Now, uh, that also works when they go back into court and uh, their lawyer uh, will have a discussion with the probation or or the judge and say, Your Honor, uh, my client is is doing this and uh, is doing much better than we had expected or um, uh, believes that this program will help them, and and that's what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, Often
1: my experience as an attorney is, is um, my clients, when I was actively doing criminal law, were far more receptive to hearing from other residents than they are hearing from a correctional officer or a case manager or a social worker. Do the folks who are involved in the Bridge to the Future and other programs like that, do they actually talk to the other folks that are there, at the other residents that are there about what the potential is to find a better way to serve their time.
12: They they do. And as a matter of fact, uh, some of the things that we've done over, over the last few years is brought people back who have been out of a program and uh, had them speak to individuals who were there. Because the relationship is, is, I was there once myself, so here's what you can do. And by the way, I'm now uh, an entrepreneur and I'm doing, I'm running my own business and I'm doing well. And uh, I, you know, I, I always love when I run into somebody at a gas station or something and, and they say, you know, Sheriff, uh, you know, I've been out for five years and I'm doing really well. And, you know, I've got my family back together and, uh, you know, I've been promoted at work, you know.
1: Do you usually recognize them and remember them?
12: I, I'll remember a face. I don't always remember a name because, uh, uh, you move through the system and and uh, they go from one program to another. And and once they get to the uh, Bridge to the Future House, um, I very rarely see them because they're out in the community all day.
1: You yeah. Know? I, I remember once, I've told this story numerous times, I hope I haven't told it on the air, I don't think I have, but I was in a supermarket line waiting to pay the cashier what I was owed and the man behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, Mr. Eisenberg, I really want to thank you. And I, I said, oh, I, I thought he was talking about I butted in line or something like that. He, he thanked me because he hadn't had a drink for 19 years. Hmm. He's now got two kids, and he worked in an auto body shop. Yeah. I had no memory of who he was, but I was really glad to hear yeah. that he had turned it around. We are talking to Sheriff uh, Patrick K. Lane. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you a, a question I'm really dying to hear the answer to, which is, How much contact do you actually have with the residents of the Hampshire County Jail and House of Correction? We'll be right back with the sheriff right after this.
0: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg miss an episode of talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders click on podcasts at whmp.com talk the talk western mass business show financial fitness with the money doctor the hustler files panorama and more when it's happening here in the valley we're talking about it the only live and local talk in the valley for the valley whmp.com Summer adventures are where memories are made. Add some flavor to your Massachusetts summer by eating like a local. Few things compare to a good meal at the end of the day, and farm-to-table restaurants deliver with fresh, locally-sourced produce prepared to perfection by skilled chefs. Support local farmers and restaurants by planning a special night out with friends or family. Need some inspiration? Map your fresh food adventure at eatlikealocal in ma.org. Sponsored by Mass Farmers Markets.
10: What's cooking at
8: River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman.
0: Ah, summer in New England, and the local farmers are showing up at the co-op every day with summer berries, basil, and tomatoes, an endless bounty of fresh fruits and vegetables. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats, sausage, lots of grilling ideas. And in the co-op cheese department, get fresh mozzarella for your caprese salad.
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
8: Forbes Library Outreach Delivery Service caters to residents of any age who are homebound due to short or long-term disability in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. A volunteer will deliver your specific requests or select materials for you based on your interests. We offer books, magazines, CDs, DVDs, and puzzles. Call 413-587-1019 or sign up at org slash outreach.
0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And we are back with a Hampshire County Sheriff, Patrick K. Lane, and we're talking about, well, we're talking about uh, his duties, his responsibilities, but, uh, uh, I know that uh, Sheriff. Just during the break, I asked you what the largest population uh, that was serving time or awaiting trial up there at the house was, and you said in the nineties, early nineties, it was three hundred and ten, and now it's yeah. more like one hundred and forty, less than half. Yes. Could you explain why that happened? Can, uh, part of it is a bail situation. Part of it is what
12: there. There's many dynamics to it. Uh, part of it, I, I, I want to say that. Uh, yeah we successfully work with uh, both the defense bar and the, uh, the district attorney's office and, and the courts to, to make sure people get to the right place. A lot of, a lot of cases now, uh, depending on your status, uh, once you get into the court system are moved out of the system before they get to us. And, and that's part of it. Uh, COVID was a driving factor. Uh, many, many individuals who, uh, Normally, would not be released, were released, and uh, yeah, I think uh, people um, who weren't
1: in the system uh, didn't really understand the extent to which congregate housing was spreading that disease,
12: yeah, yes. And and so, uh, during that period of time, you had a lot of people who who moved out of the system and and uh, have not returned to the system, uh, you know, um, the uh, the programs themselves, I think, are, are working. I think uh, our medication-assisted treatment uh, process is, is very, very detailed for each individual, and I think that is helpful because once they go back to the community, they're already connected to outside providers, and, and we, get, we get the possibility of a, a, a fresh handoff to an agency that will make sure that they are getting the same treatment programs or similar treatment programs to what they, they were receiving while incarcerated.
1: So you're a fan of the drug court?
12: I am a fan of the drug court. I'm a fan of the, the veterans court. Uh, both of those courts work really well. Um, you know, I, I go to and attend the graduations from drug court uh, every chance I get because... It's such a heartwarming thing, isn't it? It, it, is, it is heartwarming, and, and the individuals... Uh, Usually, I, I, I have met them somewhere in my career, and uh, some, of the, some of the side discussions are, are almost more, more important than the, the actual structure because uh, they, they will say, you know, I, I was with you for a short period of time, but it was enough for me to get my head on straight, and I'm doing, doing well now. So it's those types of things that it, that it is. It's very heartwarming, and, and, and those connections uh, are important. Yeah, it gives new meaning to that adage. Defense
1: attorneys always love to say that's what they did. It's not who they are. Correct. You know, their potential is much greater than what they did. We only have a, like a, a minute and a half to talk, but I wanted to ask you about landscape architecture.
12: Uh, we started a landscape architecture program last year uh, with a really talented uh, um, individual who teaches landscape architecture at the college level. And has uh, has developed this program for uh, for the popul- inmate population as well. And uh, he, along with uh, um, well, uh, one of the defense attorneys that uh, I've gotten to know really well over the years, introduced me to uh, Pierre Rogier, uh, Doctor Roger, who has now come on board, and he is uh, helping us with a yoga and meditation program. So there's there's a lot of a lot of those types of things that are going on that are very positive for. Uh, for the group. We're just starting up a new program in in carpentry and woodworking uh, that is a 12-week certified program. So everything is about getting a a certification so that you can show something to an employer. You know, it it used to be all about
1: punishing you. We will show you not to do this. We'll deter you by making it painful. But instead, uh, what corrections should be, the reason we call it corrections, it should be about providing opportunities to change. And uh, everything you just mentioned provides an opportunity for people to change. So um, we uh, are unfortunately out of time. I really want to thank you. The Bridge to the Future program, this landscape architecture, everything that you do to make people um, have the opportunity to turn their life around and be productive citizens and enjoy themselves. Thank you, Sheriff. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. He's Patrick Elaine, the Sheriff of the Hampshire County House of Correction. And I want to thank all of you for joining us today on this Monday. We like to talk the talk. Let's all remember to
0: walk the walk. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
5: Find local news and local talk for the Valley which
11: says we need to appeal to the wealthy
5: white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money, which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist.
0: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives, 101.5 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts.
5: Dear Massachusetts, marijuana is now legal for adult use. Keep your kids and pets safe by keeping all cannabis products in child-resistant packaging. Store your cannabis in a lockbox out of sight and out of reach from your children and teach them that cannabis and alcohol are for adults only and that prescription medications are only meant for the person they are prescribed for. Brought to you by the Northampton Prevention Coalition, working together to protect the developing brain. NorthamptonPrevents.org.
0: WHMP Northampton.